0: Good morning and welcome to Vertical Church Online. We're so excited that you're here with us this morning as we continue our First Things First series. Let's hear what Pastor Brian has to say. grateful for today. I'm grateful for yesterday here at Vertical Church. Our women had their one-day conference recharge, and everything I've heard has just been overwhelming. I think some ladies were recharged yesterday, right, ladies? Is that true? Yeah, it's awesome. Very good. So grateful for Roseanne Boston, who leads up our women's ministry. Yeah, good job, Roseanne. And a team of women who helped Put the event together, and even spoke on stage yesterday. All the speakers were vertical women. So thank you, ladies, for what you gave to uh, the other women who are here, and for all who made the event special and uh, caused a recharge to happen. We we feel it here on Sundays when that happens here. So we're grateful. Thank you all very much. Today is uh, a day we gather. This is the first day of the week. Sunday is. That's why we worship on this day. We give this first day of the week to the Lord, believing that it all belongs to Him. So we commit this day to give Him this time so that He might direct our paths for the rest of the week. Amen? It's putting first things first. And today is another day of first. In the NFL, we will see who is the first. I'm not giving away any clues to my suggestions of who it might be, even though I have... Whispered that to a few of you, so, uh, but that's not what this is about. So um, it's a day of first. We'll get to see who is the first. We all have this uh, you know, uh, curiosity about things that are first. Things are the best. Things are the top, because whatever's first is what you want to pursue. Whatever's first is the best. Whatever's first is what you kind of set your sights on and say, that's awesome. So I looked up a few stats about Super Bowls and firsts. And found that the first time, I don't even, you haven't even heard this in a while, but you know, it used to be popular at the Super Bowl. Whichever team won, one of the players would come over, usually the MVP, and say, Hey, I just won the Super Bowl and I'm going to Disney World. World." Yeah, I hadn't seen that in a while. So the first time that that happened was uh, Phil Sims. He was quarterback of the Giants and he was paid to say that, and they gave him $75,000 to say that little phrase right there. That was a long time ago, just to say that little phrase in passing. So uh, another first that's related to us here as Cowboy fans is back in 1971, the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl. It hadn't been that long, but it has been a while, but uh, it was one of the times they were in the Super Bowl, and we had a player at the time named Chuck Howley. He was on the defense. The Cowboys lost that game, but he won MVP for the game. It's the first, only time that's ever happened where a player from the losing team won MVP of the game. So go Cowboys. There you go. <laughs> so first, yeah, first are important. First, tell us what's most valuable. One day, uh, Jesus had, uh, was in the public arena. He was out <laughs> where people were, and he was approached by someone who was an expert in the law. And he said, hey, uh, Jesus, I got a question for you. Of all the law, There are 613 of them, you know. Of all of them, which one is the greatest? Yeah, fair enough question. There's a lot of them. Now, I have a feeling Jesus was being set up in the moment, but Jesus was wise enough to see through it. But I'm sure some in the crowd thought that's an interesting question. There's a lot of laws. And they didn't have the privilege of living on the other side of Jesus' life like we do today. So we know what the answer is. They didn't when he asked or was asked. And so I'm sure some might have thought, that's an interesting question. I wonder if it'll be something about the priesthood. I wonder if it'll be something about how that is set up. I wonder if it'll be about the holy requirements and the law for that. No, no. I wonder if it'll be something about how the sacrifices are prepared. I wonder if it's some kind of laws related to that and that the sacrifices must be holy. I wonder if it's something about the feast and remembering what God has done and a picturing of what he will do. I wonder if this great law, I wonder if this is what the answer is gonna be and Jesus didn't miss a beat. Jesus didn't say, hmm. Jesus didn't say, wait, let me Google it. Jesus didn't stutter. He didn't didn't pause at all. He said, here is the greatest. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, he said, is the first and the great commandment. This is it. And Jesus answered the question. This one reigns above all. This one is premier. This one sets the stage for all the others. This one is the first. Now, what's fascinating is that Jesus didn't stop there. He continued his answer. I'm sure they must have thought, okay, that's a great answer. Let's see, what can I ask him next? Jesus says, and, and, and everyone looked back up, and he said, and the second is like it. Hmm, What? There's a second and it's like it? So really, it's not really second because it's like it. It's not second because it's lesser in quality. It's not second because it's less in importance. Jesus says there's a second. There is another. And the other is like the first. In other words, it has great importance. It's very significant. It was almost as though Jesus was wanting to say, I kind of don't want to put it second. It's second, but it's like the first. And he said, here it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting. Jesus took one commandment that said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall have complete devotion. You shall be fully ignited and connected to him. You shall give your full strength in worship, full self in serving, Full sense of resources that are all his. You give it all to him. Everything belongs to him. You give that all to him. And the second one is like it. Another command that's just like it. Equally important. And it's this. You shall love your neighbor in the same way you understand you are loved. In the same way that you know the Father loves you. In the same way you know you have love inside you because it comes from him. And you're loving him with that love. Turn and love your neighbor as yourself. Woo, Jesus puts these two together. Worship and love for someone else, for your neighbor. In other words, you can't disconnect these two. You can't say I'm going to do one even though I'm not doing the other. I can separate into compartments this and not have to do this. No, Jesus says this is like this. You can lift him up but you better make sure you're living him out because they both go together. You can't just lift him up without living him out, Jesus said. This is like this. You can't do this unless you're doing this, and you can't do this unless you're doing this. Jesus puts them together, and if you listen to Jesus speak, if you watch what he says throughout the Gospels, you hear this theme over and over again. He puts them together. He links them he says they are inseparable. You can't compartmentalize them. Today I want to look at a time when Jesus put them together for us. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are today. First book of the New Testament. Turn there in your Bibles. Turn there in your Bible app, whatever you've got. Follow me on screen. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are today. Jesus is speaking. He's on a hillside, and Jesus is talking about things that are first, things that are important, things that are kind of stunning to the crowd. They didn't think these were that important, but Jesus says, here are some things that are very important. Jesus is going to say, having an attitude of being humble and poor in spirit, that's important. That's first. That's more important than anything else. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Having a heart that longs to do what's right. Have God's righteousness in your life. That's important. That should be first. Jesus says first are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're blessed. Jesus is talking about the things that he values. Jesus is talking about the things that he blesses. And then he goes after something that was somewhat controversial because Jesus, Jesus didn't shy away from the conflict. Jesus didn't shy away from the culture and what was going on in the moment. So Jesus just goes right to the matter. He's going to say, now look, I know you've heard some things. I know you hear some things. You read some things. You hear some other teachers and some other preachers. He says, I know you've heard some things. I'm coming today to correct some things though for you. He said, because there's a, there's a popular, and I'm, I'm summarizing here, there's a popular movement in the time. He said that, that, that says following me, following God is more about what you do outwardly than what you do inwardly. Jesus is saying there's a popular movement out there today that says it's important to be religious and you don't really have to deal with the life stuff You can actually separate them because what you do outwardly really has no business with the inwardly is what the culture thought in the day. This is not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus is about to just totally unlock all of that. Jesus is about to put it all together in a fresh way. And Jesus did that with some very real relevant stuff. And he speaks to us today in a very real and relevant way. He's gonna talk right up into our lives today. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to unlock your heart. Let him just speak right on in there because this is what he's going to do. Matthew 5 is where we are today. And Jesus is talking about, for example, he's going to talk about anger today. He's going to talk about murder today. And many in Jesus' day, they looked at the law that said, Thou shalt not murder. And they felt pretty good about themselves because they said, You know what? I hadn't murdered anybody in a long time. <laughs> you know? Or, or, or I haven't murdered anyone ever. If that's how you look at it, you actually feel pretty good about yourself at the end of the day like, hey, check mark for me. Never murdered. I'm in. I should be good. If the rest of the laws are like that, I'm really good. You see that's what people thought in the day, that it was all about keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And they totally missed it. When the law, when the, in the 10 commandments it said thou shalt not murder, It did not just refer to you physically murdering someone. That was not what it was about. It wasn't intended for you to look at it and say, Huh, I hadn't murdered anybody. Check. No, that's not the point. You missed the point. And a lot of people in Jesus' time had missed the point, and Jesus is about to make the point. All right? So let's look at the passage here. We're starting in verse 21. It says there, you have heard that it was said to those of old. In other words, I know what you've read. I know what you've heard because I've heard it too. You've heard you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. It's correct. That's what you've heard. And what you've interpreted is, I haven't physically assaulted and taken the life of anyone, so I must be doing okay. And Jesus says, but I've got something else to say to you. Verse 22, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That'll get your attention. This is where Jesus was zeroing in. Jesus says, this is what the real intent of the law always was. It wasn't that Jesus all of a sudden was coming on the scene and teaching something brand new. He was teaching what had always been, but what had been had been twisted by those who were. And Jesus says, I've come to put some things in order for you. Let me help you see this as it was always intended to be understood. If you have murderous thoughts in your heart... If you have a thought, if you have a desire to see someone else hurt, to see someone else lose, to see someone else at a place of despair, if you have anger in your heart that wants to see someone else suffer, you have just committed this sin. You have just murdered in your heart. You see, Jesus always kind of cuts to the chase like that. He pulls no punches. He goes right to where the heart of the matter was. And the law wasn't intended to just evaluate our outward self. It was intended to evaluate our heart. It was intended to bring us to the place where we said, Oh, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. So if you have had a murderous thought, if you have been at a place where you got angry, I love what it says here, Uh, Angry with your brother without a cause. Without a cause. Have you ever been angry at somebody for something ridiculous? In the moment it doesn't seem so ridiculous, but later on, after you put your head on the pillow, after a week has passed and you're replaying it in your mind, you think, ooh, yeah. I might have gone a little bit overboard there. (laughs) You know, you didn't you didn't get your way. It didn't turn out like you wanted it. That, that spot on Highway 35 that you thought was yours in the second lane, <laughs> you thought you had you know, owned it and someone else owned it before you, and all of a sudden your mind was filled with all kind of thoughts that were not about that person's benefit, <laughs> right? You wanted to see them suffer. And if for some reason later on down the highway they got a flat or they got bumped by somebody and had to pull over, you're like, mm-hmm right? This is the kind of stuff I think Jesus was talking about. If you get angry at somebody for a cause that really has no justification, I mean, it better be good if you're going to get angry. And Jesus got angry. There was a cause, there was a time, and there was a place. But I'm afraid that most of the stuff that you and I get so angry about really is without a cause. Our feelings got hurt. We got embarrassed. We didn't get our way. Our spouse didn't do that thing that we thought they ought to have done or our kids didn't do exactly what we thought they should have done and we just absolutely lost it. Our mind was gone, our heart was gone and we we're just flaming with anger. I'm afraid that's the kind of stuff that Jesus says, if that's what's happening, you have just committed a very wretched offense. You have murdered someone not physically not to them but you've murdered them in your heart. You've come to a place where you want to see them suffer. You want to see them hurt. You want to see them have to pay and you can't let go of it. It just doesn't leave you. It stays with you. And Jesus puts a high premium on this attitude. He says if this is what's happening in you? He said, This puts you in a place where you're in danger of judgment. If a person murdered someone, they would be arrested and brought before civil authorities and a judgment determined about them <coughs> imprisonment or their life for what they've done. And Jesus puts on an equal footing. If you've had a murderous thought here with taking someone's physical life there, Jesus changes the playing field, but Jesus doesn't stop here. Just when everyone was feeling a little bit uncomfortable, Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I made you feel awkward for just a moment. Jesus said, I'm not through yet. We're going on down the awkward path a little bit further. See, he goes on next, and he says in the second part of verse 22, he says, and whoever says to his brother... Raka shall be in danger of the council. And you and I are feeling pretty good because we've never said to anybody, Raka. (laughs) You're like, "Whoo, that was close. One more check for me. No, let's let's peel back some understanding here. You see, in in Jesus' day, they all knew what this term meant. They all understood it and they all went, oh, (laughs) done it, said it. You know, it was the term that you would use to refer to somebody that in your estimation and mine was absolutely clueless, brainless, and had no ability to think clearly. Yeah, see, it told you it gets real close to home. And it's it's looking at a person like that who has acted in some way that to you is absolutely ridiculous, absolutely foolish, and your anger just wells up within you. And you got to the place where it didn't just well up in you, it came on right out of your mouth. And it showed up in something you said to the other person. Yeah, that's what this one is. It came up out of your mouth and you said something to the other person to let them know just how angry you are. You demonstrated it by your words. You flashed some hand sign, not giving any indication of what that might be. You communicated somehow to someone that they are very that you are very angry at them, and they are completely incapable of a rational thought. You ever done that? And Jesus says. To have that level of anger puts you in danger. He says, this puts you in danger of the counsel. Remember, the first one is that if you had a, a murderous thought in your heart, you were in danger of judgment. This one, if you've spoken it, you're in danger of the counsel. Now, the council was the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, the highest authority in the religious community. They were kind of like the Supreme Court of the group. And so if you committed an offense like this, that was some really terrible offense, you were brought before them and they were going to make a decision about what should be done for you. And that was a fearful place to be, to be publicly brought in, to be given a sentence of some kind that could mean Removal from the community in the end of your life. This is a frightening place. And Jesus says, if you have murderous thoughts in your heart, it's the same as committing the sin of murder. And if you have verbalized that, expressed it, communicated it to someone else in some form to cause them to hear the murder in your heart, you've committed another layer of sin. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. We're halfway down this awkward road, so let's just go all the way. And Jesus finishes the last part of verse 22, and he says, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, fool is a word that you and I tend to use today for someone who is more like the second sin we talked about. They don't know how to think. They are foolish. They are incapable. They are incompetent. Those are the kind of things that we use the term fool for. But in Jesus' day, when someone used the term fool, they didn't just make a reference to someone's mind. They are making a reference to someone's soul, that they are incapable of being redeemed, that they are worthless. They are at the lowest level, morally and in their identity, they don't even deserve to be spoken to kindly. They don't deserve any kind of mercy. They don't deserve any kind of justice. They are a fool. They are corrupt in their heart. And Jesus says, if this is what is in here, and this is what you speak out And this is what they hear from you. You communicate it. He says, you're in danger of something different. He says, you're in danger of hellfire. Hmm. Jesus, what are you talking about? That's a question you and I ask. But in Jesus' day, everybody knew instantly what Jesus was talking about. You see, outside the city walls and city gates was a place where they burned their refuge, where all of the waste went, where all of the trash went. You and I in our civilized society today know that our trash is picked up from our curb, but we never see it again, and we're grateful for that. It doesn't exist just somewhere down the street. There's not just a place that you go by and say, oh, there goes my trash. There it is right there. No, it's taken far, far from us, and it is removed from us, and thankfully, we don't have to smell it. We don't have to see it. It's gone from us. Now, depending upon what, what parts of uh, Dallas you drive through, you might smell your trash again <laughs> at times. But for Jerusalem dwellers, they would have known outside the city was a place where the fire burned, where the trash was kept where it was burned and the waste was taken and burned. And if there were dead animals, if there were carcasses from animals, they were taken there, they were burned. If there were criminals who had committed offenses that were of so grave a concern that their life was taken, their bodies were taken there and they were burned. It was an awful place. And everyone knew when Jesus used the phrase here of hellfire, he used a phrase that everyone would have associated as oh. That's that place he's talking about. That place that burns continually. That place that is nasty. That place that stinks. That place that has the smoke going up. That place that's just gross. That place where you just don't go. That is where the fire never dies. That is the place Jesus is talking about. He says, if you have murderous thoughts in your heart and you lash out at people. It comes out of you in anger and you lash out in such a way that your words tell the other person they have absolutely no worth, no value, don't deserve any kind of mercy, justice, or kindness. You, Jesus says, are in a dangerous spot. You're in danger of the Gehenna, the place of burning, you're in danger of the hellfire. And not just that you could be sent there, but something much more insidious, that that fire would light up inside you. Whoa. I told you, Jesus talks right up into our lives. He did it in his day, and he does it in our day. You see, when your thoughts are ruled by your anger, things not going like you wanted, and you begin to seethe, and you begin to replay and you begin to resent and you begin to want revenge and you begin to play out scenarios and you begin to strategically sort your words out. So that the next time you get with that person, you know exactly what to say to them. You know exactly how to get them. You know how to poke them. You know how to cause them to hurt and you express it and it comes up out of you. It comes up in your rage. It comes up in your actions. It comes up in your words. He says, you are in a dangerous place. A place that is as dangerous as standing before the judgment, as standing before the council, as having the fire of Gehenna burn up inside you. It's not just something you go to, it's something that happens inside of you. You get to a place where judgment is burning in here. Where you want to see someone pay. Where you want to execute justice. And all of a sudden, your heart has changed. Ooh. See, you get to this place and your thoughts all change. Your emotions change. Things that in the past you might have said, I'm not going to go there. All of a sudden, you go there and you stay there. You want to see someone suffer. All of a sudden now, whenever you go out, people are just irritating. Irritating. All of them. They're all crazy. They're all fools. And you can't even be around people because before long your anger has taken over. And so you choose isolation rather than interaction because you just can't be with people. That means something's happened inside of you. You and I were made to connect. You and I were made to be relational people. And if something's causing you to isolate rather than interact, something's going on. Socialization becomes painful. Your thoughts become darker. Resentment takes over. Revenge becomes much more interesting to you than forgiveness. In fact, it's passed off as the last thing that you want to do. Hurt takes over and blame takes over. And before you know it, something devastating has happened in the heart. Hunter and Truett and I used to play a video game called Portal. I love Portal. It was a great two-person game. And the concept was this. You got into a situation. You could cause a portal to open. So just use your imagination with me here. All right? Just imagine for just a moment if they all of a sudden could just open up a window right here. It just opened all of a sudden. And if I could somehow open up a portal at my house at the same time. So... In the living room, it opens up. And just imagine if somehow I was able to step right here into this portal, and all of a sudden, I was in my living room. Wouldn't that be cool? This whole game, this whole video game is based around that problem-solving based on these portals that you establish like that. I like to look at this passage here and think, when you and I get to the place where anger has so devastated us that it creates a very dangerous scenario where a portal in hell opens up and the other end of it opens up as well. And the place that it opens up is inside of us. And all of a sudden, the fire that burns in that place, all the anger and resentment and jealousy and rage and hatred and vileness and corruption that's there, all of a sudden finds its way right up inside us. And Jesus says, if you, Let anger manifest and stay in your heart. You have just opened up a portal from hell to you. And oh, this is dangerous, Jesus says. This is highly dangerous. It puts you in a place where you're wanting to commit the same kind of offense as taking someone's life It's not any less than, Jesus said. It is the same as. We can put it in this kind of statement. Unresolved anger opens a dangerous portal from hell to the heart. Write it down. Make a note. Take a picture of the screen. This is what happens when you and I allow anger, hatred, resentment, jealousy to take over In the heart. Some of the ways you know that this portal is beginning to open in your heart is this. All of a sudden, you think, you think you know everybody's motives and they're all wrong. You know everybody's motives, exactly what they're thinking, what their intentions are, and you know they're all evil, they're all wrong. That's what you assume. This is an indication you have a portal opening. You can all of a sudden see into everyone's life and you know all their faults. It's a good indicator. You all of a sudden see the worst in people, you're filled with your hurt and what you deserve, what they ought to be doing for you, how right you are and how wrong they are. You all of a sudden know what's best for everybody else and it's not something good. You all of a sudden develop this Calloused, sarcastic view of all of life. You can't see God anywhere. You can't see hope anywhere. And there's a fire that burns inside you. It's because the portal has just opened. The sad thing is, it started in a moment. You didn't plan for it, you didn't intend for that to happen but it happened. And here's when it started. Here's when your heart changed. You were hurt. Someone did something to you. Someone hurt you deeply. Someone disappointed you. Someone took advantage of you. Someone didn't do what they said they were going to do, and a hurt happened. Everybody in this room has had that happen to them. Everybody. That person next to you, behind you, beside you, in front of you, all of us have had that happen. But what you do next determines what happens in your heart. If in the next moment you chose resentment, bitterness, anger, replaying the offense, over and over, focusing on their faults, focusing on what you deserve, if you let that stay, then anger begins to burn. And you are in danger in that moment. You're in a very dangerous spot. That's why Jesus is not... uh, hold anything back here this is why the book of Proverbs would say guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life Jesus warns that this could happen to you and just when this whole little conversation here with Jesus on a hillside hits this very personal note just when you think oh, I can't take any more Let me up, Jesus. I hear you. I've been so wrong. Jesus says, you know, not only can this happen to you, it can happen to someone else because of you. Wait a minute. You just changed the dial, Jesus. You just intensified this whole thing. What are you saying? You see, where Jesus is going next is he's going to say, It is possible because of our words, our attitudes, our actions towards someone else that I actually cause them to be filled with resentment and anger and hurt. And you say, well, that's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Their response may not be your responsibility, but what you did that caused it is all your responsibility. And it's also your responsibility to go and rescue them if that happened. If I knew that that happened to Jerry, if I knew that I had said something, I had done something intentional, not intentional, whatever it might have been, if I knew that was the case for Jerry and I found out his heart had Shriveled and it was filled with anger and angst, and it would be my responsibility to do something about it, to go back and rescue Jerry. Let's look at what Jesus says because He's the one that said it, not me. He's the one that says, if you let your anger assault someone, If you make a statement to someone that is equivalent to stabbing them in the back, in the side, in the heart, in the head, I don't care what it is, if you are causing the assault with your words, your attitude, or your actions, it is up to you and I to do something about it. Here is what Jesus says in verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Watch this. If you are engaged in a moment where you are approaching the throne of God, if you are in a moment where you are coming in holy worship before the Lord, if you're bringing your gift of offering of your resources, the gift of your heart, the gift of yourself, if you're bringing yourself to God and you're about to enter into this most reverential, pinnacle moment in your life, if in the middle of that, if all of a sudden you have this thought, you have this memory that comes right back up to play of someone you know and they have something against you. Now, let me just clarify. It does not say, and you have something against them. This is not saying you're angry with them. This is not saying they've done something to you. This is saying if your brother has something against you. Mm. He uses the word brother here. He didn't say everybody. He said brother. Because it would be the same Jesus who would say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because there are going to be from the world, and those who do not believe, there are going to come persecutions and reactions and hatred and anger. It would be that anger and that hatred that would take Jesus to the cross. So I am not saying to you, as Jesus was not saying to you, live to make everybody happy. That's not going to happen. That's not the intent. But if you remember there, Jesus says, a brother, so let's just draw some circles here. Let's start close. If you, in your moment of holiest, most reverent worship, service, giving, whatever it might be, if all of a sudden you remember, uh oh, I remember a conversation I had with my wife, I remember my husband's face when I left this morning if all of a sudden in your marriage you realize not that you have something against them, but they have something against you, if in that moment, in the moment of your singing, in the moment of your giving, whatever it is, Jesus says in that moment, if you all of a sudden have this memory, if all of a sudden in this moment you remember your child, you remember your parent, you remember someone in your family that has something against you, they are at odds with you. There is something you've said, something you've done from the past. Maybe it was yesterday, last week, three months ago, 10 years ago. If in the moment you all of a sudden remember, oh, if you remember that your brother has something against you, if there's something that has happened in them, if there's something because of your words and actions has caused them to be at a place where they are against you. They are in opposition to you. They are offended by you. Jesus goes on in verse 24 and he says this. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, first, first. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. But God, I mean, we're right in the middle of this worship song. I mean, it's really good. I'm loving it and my hands are up and all of a sudden, stop. Just stop. That's what Jesus said. Leave, leave your gift there before the altar. God, I mean, I'm just about to, I mean, the plate's coming down the aisle, the basket's coming down the aisle. I'm, I'm, I got my check. I my, I'm about to send the text right now to give God. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, <clears throat> he says, leave it. This is how important this is. You can't separate this from this. If you're going to worship, then you've got to keep this in order too. When you're going to come and bring your offering and all of a sudden you remember Oh, I need to go I need to go so I'm just giving you permission right now over the next 20 minutes whatever it is if at some point you have this moment where you have to get up and run out of this room go I'll know you're doing what you need to do whatever that is because what happens this way is as important as what happens this way The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would say it here. Look, if you're in the midst of this, and all of a sudden you remember something you've done to someone else, And they have now become in a place where they are at odds. In other words, if in the moment you realize that something has opened up in their heart, if you all of a sudden realize that they're the ones filled with anger, resentment, darkness, rage, bitterness, and you haven't done something about it. You haven't done everything that's within you to go and try to reconcile. You haven't done that. You haven't taken that step yet. Leave your gift. Stop what you're doing. Get up and go and take care of it. It's the most important thing. Jesus says that's more important than bringing your gift. It'd be better to interrupt what you're doing than to go on with it as though that doesn't matter. Whoo. This changes some things. This changes some dynamics about what's important. Faith and worship are not just a Sunday thing. It's not just for a piece or a compartment, a box inside your heart. It's for your heart. You know, I used to read this passage and I used to think okay, that this is here so that when I come to worship, I can make sure that my conscience is fully cleared. We could apply it that way. But as I look at it more, as I read through it, and I think about what Jesus was all about, it says something different to me. It says what Jesus was consumed with was those who are far from him be reconciled to him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Had Jesus done anything wrong that would cause him to have to get up off of his throne in heaven and say, I'm going down to earth. I'm going to go wrap myself in their flesh. I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to live among them. I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to make a way. It's going to take a miracle, but I'm going to do it. This is what Jesus did. And I'm convinced this is what he's saying to us here. This doesn't have as much to do with clearing your conscience as much as it does going to set someone free. If I knew Jerry wasn't here today, or was here today, and in his heart was a place of offense and bitterness and against me, it would be my responsibility to go and attempt to reconcile. Because this is what Jesus did. He left heaven. The comfort, the blessing, the confidence, the surety, the worship... He left that spot to come and seek us and rescue us. So, just making it real practical here today. Anytime we gather, whether it's here on a Sunday or whether it's your Tuesday morning time when you've gathered before God and you're gathering in your own thoughts and heart, just you, and all of a sudden, a memory comes up a person's face is up on the screen in your head and your heart, and God gives you clear direction, you need to go and reconcile, then the right thing to do is to obey in that moment. It's interesting, when you read the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, you'll come across this phrase that says... um, To obey is better than sacrifice. That's interesting. That truth applies right here in this moment. To obey and go and seek to reconcile with a a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a spouse, a child, a neighbor, a coworker, a boss, whoever. (coughs) To obey and do that is more important than the next song that you want to sing, the next prayer that you want to pray, the next dollar that you want to give. To obey is better than sacrifice. And Jesus says, now once you've done that, once you've gone and you've attempted to work it out, attempted to reconcile, you've done all that you can, then come back. Offer your gift because you can know you just did what Jesus did and does today. He's in the process of making a way to hearts, He's seeking to redeem and rescue. He came, He laid down His life, He rose again, went back to His seat in heaven, and He waits. He's not guilty because we didn't respond yet. He simply waits. You may go back and reconcile or attempt to reconcile with someone and they say, forget you. You do what you're responsible to do. Attempt to reconcile. And then you come back and you wait. And you pray. And then you offer your gift to the Lord of worship. This is... Is first things first. This changes everything about our lives. This tells us what's most important. You may want to serve in ministry somewhere. Awesome. You may want to be a missionary. Awesome. You may want to be involved in volunteering in ministry or a life of ministry. Awesome. But whatever you do, before you do that, hear God speak. Before you come and offer your gift, make sure you make it your goal to reconcile. Because another truth comes into play, and we close with this today. A love-driven reconciliation opens a portal from heaven to the heart. Mm. I'm really not so concerned about the portal from uh, hell. I'm more concerned with the portal from heaven. But if I go and I attempt to reconcile with Jerry, something happens in his heart then. He all of a sudden is moved with grace that came to him, love that came to him to reconcile and restore. And in that moment, something else opens up in Jerry. Heaven opens up inside him. He says, God, thank you. I was hurting, and you sent love to me to reconcile, restore, and reach me. Can you imagine what it would be like if this is what we lived as uh, believers? If in our homes we said, hey, as a husband, there's nothing more important than me reaching and rescuing my wife. Work, important. Church, important. Life, important. My wife, Most important, her heart connected to me. And a wife said, I want to serve the Lord, but I know that my primary first role is to love my husband, to seek to love him, and he is the one that I say first things first. Before I can go witness to my neighbor, I need to be a witness to my husband, (coughs) and vice versa for husbands. Before you're off trying to rescue everybody else's children, Make sure you've rescued your own children. Make sure they know who Jesus is in their life and that you have a home that does that. Let's put first things first. Let's start close up inside our marriages and then in our families and then move out to our neighbors. Let's put first things first. Let's see Jesus glorified in what we do and not give the enemy a foothold in anybody's heart. Don't let him have a spot, a space, a way into someone else because you refused to go and reconcile. Would you bow your heads with me? It's a holy calling. It's impossible without the strength of God to do it in you. But it's exactly what he did for you. He came after you to rescue, to redeem you. Why would you not do anything less for those he's put into your life? Heavenly Father, this morning we are um, overwhelmed at your words. We clearly hear your truth through the words of your Son, our Lord, and now we. We're challenged, but we are comforted at the same time Knowing that if you did it for us, you'll do it through us. So this day, this week, we will put first things first. In some ways, we don't have to ask you to help us with that because you've already promised you will do that. So we don't come to say, Lord, help us do that this week. We come to say, Lord, we will do that this week by your strength. We will put first things first. For there's nothing more important than the message of redemption to be seen in lives. I pray that be true of us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a powerful message from Pastor Brian this morning. If you enjoyed yourself as much as we did, please hit like and subscribe down below, and we will see you next Sunday.